you are listening to the Nirvana podcast, season 2, episode 2. Kurt Courtney and a lot of conspiracies, part 2. Hello everybody and welcome to the Nirvana podcast. My name is Sietse. And I'm Yuditja. Today uh, we are going to um, further discuss the murder conspiracy theory that surrounds Kurt Cobain's death for over 25 years now. Yeah, it's been a long time. So that's why we're doing two podcasts <laughs> Yeah, on the subject. We never planned to. If, if you've listened to this carefully, you will have heard Sietse now say part two. And he didn't say part one on the first episode <laughs> because back then we didn't know yet that this was going to be a two-parter, but it is. Yeah, because there's so much to say about it and I, wa- I want to get it right. I don't want to leave too much room open for people saying, oh, but you're completely ignoring this and that. And I know we're still going to do it. I mean, you can't cover everything. No. And the problem with things like this is that you can always point at a detail or come up with a different source that we haven't covered. It's not our goal to debunk the theory, but it it is important to at least examine it in a critical way. Yep, exactly. Because claiming somebody is a murderer isn't nothing. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, no, I totally agree that we shouldn't rush through it, but uh, just to take our time to mention that things stand out to us. Yeah, so... Uh, Let's uh, pick up our story where we left it off. Yeah, good idea. There was this book. That was what we are, uh, what we're at. I think it came out in two thousand and four, two thousand and five, maybe. And uh, Max Wallace, uh, one of the two authors, also um, shows up in a documentary that yep. came out ten years later. You already mentioned it, "Soaked in Bleach," which came pretty soon after the "quote unquote" um, official documentary montage of Hack. So it was sort of like, that was the official story, what we're going to tell you the the real story or the alternative story or the thing you, you don't want them to know. Yeah, it's it's a remarkable thing, the so- Soaked in Bleach. Two things I'd like to point out that I just uh, noticed uh, this week when I was rewatching it for this uh, podcast. First of all, it starts with a statement in which you said, yeah, yeah you decide. Yeah. It's oh. like, yeah, we are totally unbiased um, you make up your own mind but then nothing in there is unbiased they don't no. they don't approach the whole story from two sides they only push tom grant's narrative yeah and don't forget that statement at the beginning they end with you decide but what they say beforehand is like courtney and her family doesn't want this documentary to be released and they don't want to work with us and stuff like that and then it's like you decide so they even frame the you decide within the narrative of this is a story courtney love does not want to get out to the public so yeah i I think they say it's unlikely that courtney love agrees something like that yeah 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 (laughs) exactly yeah but did you also read the end cred- uh, credits? They don't pop up in my mind, so it has remind this me. <laughs> disclaimer that uh, the characters and uh, incidents oh, herein yeah. are <laughs> fictionous, and yep. all resemblance <laughs> with real people and incidents are strictly uh, coincidental. So that's yep. just <laughs> that's just really really weird if you're using pictures of actual people, their names, and even 
there they are again, audio recordings of actual people <laughs> because the, the famous audio recordings that Tom Grant make uh, also uh, are in uh, Soaked in Bleach. Yep. They have a combination of uh, those audio tapes. They act out some uh, scenes with actors yep. and they have experts giving their opinion. Main characters are, uh, again, Tom Grant and Max Wallace, who is presented as a key expert because yep. he wrote a book based on Tom Grant's theories. <laughs> exactly. So now he's in a documentary based on Tom yep. Grant's theories alongside Tom Grant. <laughs> exactly. That's a, <laughs> that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, and I think that disclaimer at the end is probably for legal reasons. I think the, the documentary makers probably thought that if they would put that disclaimer there, that they would be protected against being sued or whatever. Like one of the things they do in that documentary is, like you said, they have like acted out certain parts and they use parts of the official audio tapes and then they merge into the fictional parts where there's new lines written for those characters. And then sometimes they go back to the actual tapes. Yeah. And those lines that are written in between are obviously a, a reinterpretation um, and sometimes a bit sketchy as well, I think. So I think that for that part, <laughs> they they thought that, that the disclaimer would probably help. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And uh, But I think it's, it's lost on most of the viewers that they actually say themselves that it's pure fiction. That's just... Yeah, but they want that to be lost. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, the whole, the whole point of merging the fiction with the official tapings is clearly meant to make the fiction, uh, seem like the exact thing that happened. That's, yeah. that's clearly what they mean. So, but I have to admit that first time when I saw the documentary, it did make me doubt the official suicide story. Yeah, of course, because it's done well. Yeah, it's, it has, it's been done really well. It has a certain production value more than, uh, something that somebody, uh, cobbled together and, and put on YouTube. It's been professionally made. Yep. And actually it took me a second viewing with a more critical eye to figure out, Oh, maybe it's not all that rock solid as it is or as it seems. They have quite some, uh, experts, uh, on it. Also, they dropped the ball a bit uh, here and there. There's a guy in there who's been called um, uh, Nirvana's first manager, Ryan Aigner. Uh, later came forward and said, whoa, that's, that was a bit uncomfortable. They didn't do their <laughs> homework. Um, they asked a lot of questions about a period of Cobain's life where I wasn't even involved with the band anymore. So <laughs> exactly, it wasn't that good. But it has quite some uh, legal experts and people from law enforcement. Uh, that's including a guy called uh, Vernon J. Gibberth, I hope I'm saying this right. And he is the writer of the textbook a Practical Homicide Investigation. And uh, this is what he is saying in Soaked in Bleach. As a homicide commander, I would not be making any proclamations that the case was a suicide without the evidence having been processed, the victimology, the medical legal process, toxicology. It's a death investigation. The reason we call things death investigations is that we don't want to prematurely make them homicides, suicides, or accidents. It's a death investigation. So he seems like a, a credible um, expert. I think he is. But he's not saying at all that he thinks it wasn't a suicide. Nope. 
what he does is put down his police colleagues from somewhere else by just saying they basically did a bad job by proclaiming um, suicide. Like it's a bit harsh, especially when you're talking about something that happened a long time ago. And also I can understand if you are police and you're under pressure uh, because this is like a really major public figure and his death has already been announced. I can get it why as the police you think like, okay, we'll just call it like that. But the weird thing I think about this is there's a lot of evidence between air quotation marks um, like this in this documentary, like people who are like investigators, ex-policemen, whatever, who uh, basically dump on the Seattle police. The only thing they can sort of prove is maybe that the police didn't do their work that well. Um, and maybe they did stuff wrong, but it says nothing about what happened. Like, unless you can prove that the police was involved in a conspiracy to kill Kurt Cobain, yeah, there's nothing some there. Some people even go that far and then they find a connection between somebody from the uh, Seattle police and Courtney Love and they say, oh, you see their friends, but mm, that's a bit sketchy. Um, and I, I, I totally agree with you because the I think the writer, director and producer of the movie, Benjamin Statler, even said that the whole point of the movie was to investigate whether or not the case had been handled well enough. So mm -hmm. that's what they're reflecting on. In fact, the guy we just heard, that Vernon uh, Gieberth, um, he even put out a statement, the website of his uh, book, Practical Homicide Investigation, uh, reading as follows. The documentary Soaked in Bleach gave the impression that Kurt Cobain had been murdered. I was one of the experts interviewed during the documentary and was not happy that the producer made it appear that I agreed with their homicide theory. I had made it quite clear that I believed that Kurt Cobain took his own life and backed up my opinion with the facts that I had obtained from the Seattle Police Department's homicide division, coupled with my own experience with suicide cases. So apparently he made it quite clear that he doesn't believe the murder theory, but yep. they left it out. Yep. Is that fair? <laughs> you decide. <laughs> but I think you're right that uh, a lot of the statements that are from these... Uh, Police experts are about the question whether or not case was handled according to every guideline out there. They criticize that. The uh, Seattle police chief uh, uh, of that time, Norm Stamper, in Soaked in Bleach, he says that if he were the chief today, he would reopen the case. But that doesn't mean that he's believing that it wasn't a suicide or that Kurt Cobain was murdered. I think he just means that it should have been done according to every protocol, especially because it's a case that attracts a lot of attention. So I, I, I think that's why these statements are being made and why none of these experts say, yes, I think he was murdered or this wasn't a suicide. They don't say that. No, exactly. They don't say that at all. And I think that that's important to to remind ourselves of, even though there are things that don't really pan out It's not evidence, and I think as well that probably the Seattle police made a couple of mistakes, especially in 
not realizing that in such a high profile case, you need to make sure that you have everything in order. Now there is like talk about like we have pictures, but we don't show them. We have like reports, but we don't want people to see that. And although I don't think anybody is served by making everything public because this is not a public case. I mean, we don't need to read all the details. The fact that they kept a lot of that inside or or were yeah. um, a bit closed off about it, it fuels the imagination of people. It's basically like if stuff isn't out in the open, they have something to hide. And that's the same with, I think, all of the so-called evidence in this case. As soon as something is a bit unclear, it feels like that would be a reason for it to be uh, shady. And that's also just basic human nature. We always want to like close the narrative. <laughs> and if you can't close the narrative, then something must be up. And uh, since you mentioned the pictures, there's a lot of um, criticism about the fact that the police didn't develop all the pictures they took at the crime scene. But I think they have a pretty plausible explanation for that because what they did is they took pictures of the crime scene, but they also, uh, with a regular camera, of course, cameras back then weren't digital, so um, they were on 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 a film and had to be uh, developed, but they also had a Polaroid camera. So they had uh, immediate pictures uh, they could use of the same scene, of the same, basically the same pictures. And what they said is that if if there's any indication that there's something wrong, then we have those other pictures as a backup. And maybe the quality is a bit better of that. So Yep. Polaroids fade after a while. <laughs> they did have pictures. They used the Polaroid pictures and they didn't see any reason why to no. develop those other pictures. So it sounds like they're dropping the ball there, but in fact, mm, not really. And a couple of years ago, I think right before Soaked in Bleach got released or maybe right after it, um, the police did look into the case. They did not reopen it, but they... Had a, had a fresh look at, at the evidence, developed some more pictures and stuff. And the outcome was exactly the same. They found nothing that was inconsistent with their first conclusions. So again, it that, does, that doesn't seem to be that much. No, and if you're talking about pictures that weren't developed, it's not like they got lost or whatever. It's like not like somebody tried to hide something. It's just, like you said, protocol. Um, also, back in the days, developing pictures is, uh, well, it costs money. <laughs> I think people nowadays forget that as well. Um, so it would make sense not to... Really? For, for a police department? Well, it was quite expensive back then. Okay, maybe, maybe. Police departments have to scour for money sometimes as well. I mean, they have to <laughs> have to write everything down they do. So, uh, But in any case, I mean, what would have been on those pictures that were, wasn't on the Polaroids that nothing. would be like evidence? There's no, there's nothing to suggest that at all. And uh, Mr. Uh, Gieberth um, is the only one who uh, complained afterwards about uh, the editing of uh, Soaked in Bleach. Again, they brought up the suicide note, both the handwriting, uh, but also uh, the content of it, because Tom Grant's claim is that the bulk of the note isn't a suicide note at all. He says it's uh, Kurt 
yeah. saying goodbye to the music industry, perhaps, or leaving the band, something like that. And I can see why yeah. he thinks that because it talks a lot about not having fun performing anymore. And it seems to be addressed to um, the fans more yeah. than to his family or, or, and they had um, a forensic uh, linguist look at it. And uh, her name is uh, Carol Chesky. And um, here is her quote uh, that uh, ended up in Soaked in Bleach. One of the perhaps surprising characteristics of this note is that the largest section of the note or the initial part talks so much about his relationship to music. And it's only the very small part of the note the last four lines that talks about his relationship to his family. But there's another linguistically interesting thing about the second or final four lines of the note. And that is that that is what most of us would consider a stereotypical suicide note. I love you, someone will be better off without me, keep moving forward. Those are the kinds of things we expect to find in suicide notes, or even an overkill to make it very stereotypical so that people couldn't miss what it was. The background music uh, makes it clear that this is very suspicious, of course. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you can trust the music. So she points out some linguistic interesting details about the note but she does not yep. say it's not a suicide note she's actually i think well i won't say claiming the opposite but in fact um um a lot of people have have been saying that like oh it doesn't doesn't sound like a suicide note but again the, what we think is a suicide note is what we know from movies and tv and if you read proper literature about it um most real suicide notes don't have a lot of those uh, cliches in there. So having that at the end, the only thing that to me at least confirms is that maybe, like we said before, he wrote it like at the last moment and the start wasn't specifically for this. Or yeah, maybe Courtney did add it because she <laughs> thought she needed to add it. I don't know, but it doesn't prove anything um, because like you say she doesn't say it's not a suicide note it's just a difference between the first part and the last part but yeah Chesky uh, has also said that it's sometimes really hard to recognize a suicide note and that's why she developed software to do that so it's like a linguistic algorithm that can analyze mm -hmm. it and, and compare it to other suicide notes and she has run uh, Kurt's suicide note through the software. Okay. First, um, as a whole, turns out it's a suicide note. Then there's just the, those uh, four lines at the bottom, suicide note. But also the upper part without those air quotes um, <laughs> added suspicious lines also, <laughs> yep. according to the software, is a suicide note. <laughs> wow. And it's not in the documentary. And that's this, this the same expert <laughs> well, I, I mean, I must say I find software that can 
recognize a suicide note, I, I think that's a big stretch. It's but not- she's the expert. So if she says she uses that, that's fine. But yeah, like you said, the whole point is if she says, I think th- th- me and the software, we think that this is all of it is a suicide note. It should have been in the documentary. Absolutely. That's her most important conclusion. And also, I don't agree with you. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think that an algorithm is much better than a human to um, pick up on patterns and it can analyze language. Um, she claims that um, her software is about has about a 85% accuracy, something like that. So she doesn't say it's 100% sure this or that, but she says it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big help for um, cops and other people examining uh, documents like that to to give an indication and it's it's pretty accurate um yeah and yeah. Ev- even if you think it's questionable like you said it's still her main conclusion why isn't it in the documentary yeah um she has something to say about that herself again in the house of mystery radio show another expert um in uh who was in the film and that's um uh Heidi Harlson and she's a forensic document examiner now she's saying yes. the same thing that they they had uh, cut what she did in the interview to make it sound like she said it was traced by Courtney and written by someone else, but uh, that's not what she really said. Um, she said yes. uh, it was mi- mischaracterized through the editing and taken totally out of context. Yes, I, I'm really. Um, I was really surprised that so many of us had the same experience with the soaked in bleach editing. Um, I, I knew that about Heidi. I know her. Um, and I knew that about um, uh, another person in the film. And when I look back on it, you know, it was pretty obvious to me that there was a struggle going on, you know, among the directors or producers. I'm not sure who was who. Um, where they would ask questions in one way, but then talk in another way off camera. And, you know, I was just told to say what I had done, and that's what I did. I, you know, I talked about Snare and how it's been uh, validated on 400 suicide notes. And so we know the error rate. Now, obviously, Snare's got a pretty good error rate, you know, from yeah. 14 to 20 percent. Yeah, and uh, Snare is the, is the name of her uh, software. Yep, yeah. Yeah, and um, <laughs> wow. the other expert that they uh, mention is uh, Heidi, oh, forgot her last name, Heidi Harlson, something like that. Sorry, Heidi. Yeah. I don't have For some reason, here. I just wrote down Heidi. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, she's a, a forensic documents examiner. Um, she's also in a documentary and also complained about how she was um, misrepresented in, uh, yeah, and that, that the most important things she said uh, were cut out. So um, that's pretty sad. <laughs> Also, uh, most people who believe in conspiracy theories in general say, oh, do your own research. Um, yeah, and then you should take um, 
things like this in account uh, as well? Yeah, I, I agree. If you if you're serious about doing the research and then uh, drawing your conclusions from that, you should do all of all of the research and all of the investigation, which is exactly what the people in this film also expect from the police. I mean, they, they have <laughs> a lot of comments in, in this documentary about how the police should follow their procedures and do everything. Um, they should do it themselves as well in, in this documentary. But it's, I mean, like we said before, from the beginning, it's pretty clear that this documentary, um, has an opinion, um, which is fine. I mean, that's their choice, uh, sure. to do that. Um, and it's fine for them to, to choose which parts they show and don't show. But obviously there's also a, a, let's say a moral obligation <laughs> to the people, at least that you interview. And it's, yeah, it, it, I, I think like for me, I find this whole documentary, it, it really gives me like sort of a, a bad taste because like the whole uh, bigging up of of Tom Grant in the beginning, like his whole the whole story of oh this guy is like an upstanding citizen and stuff oh. like that. And it, it doesn't it start with with him uh, talking about his father and his father never told a lie and he wanted to follow the footstep <laughs> of his father so he would never lie yeah. or something like and, that. And so so everything they tell you and show you about him is to frame him as a um, a a perfect and very believable person. And then when they get to Courtney Love, it's the opposite and also. Um, in my opinion, uh, quite, uh, misogynic sometimes, um, really portraying her as a loose woman, keeping comments in there by Tom Grant about how she is wearing like a negligee and he can like see, see her body and he didn't think that was appropriate. And when you see her in the, the, um, fiction parts, like, there is this woman passing and she grabs the woman by the, by the, by the bottom and, and like being, <laughs> there's, there's people in the background that never get explained who they are and they're like kissing and it's like, it's sort of, she's the loose woman and he's the upright policeman, basically ex-policeman. And, and that's sort of, that's a framing that sort of warns me for the, the actual content that, that, comes after that, which I think is a shame because there is a lot of people who are interviewed in there who are not part of this whole narrative, like the experts and who are just giving their opinion. And then they sort of get sucked into that frame. Now I get to think of it in the book, uh, Love and Death mm -hmm. that we mentioned. I think that starts off by portraying Tom Grant as a credible guy. I think in one of the first paragraphs, they talk about how they meet him for the first time in his detective office and then somebody, he gets a phone call and and then he says, oh, I'm sorry, I can't help you and I wouldn't take your money. Yeah, exactly. Really yeah, Something like true. that. Like, like you're obviously manipulated to think, oh, what a great exactly. guy. Yeah. He's, he's my man. Yeah. yeah. And he might be a great guy. I mean, for we know, that's fine, but it's, it's, <laughs> I'm not saying he's not a great guy, but, Framing it like this is, it serves a purpose. 
And uh, to be fair, uh, John Fisk, who's in uh, the documentary as well, he's the one that took the uh, emergency call uh, and went to the scene as a first responder. So he's the one who first uh, walked uh, into the uh, green Mm -hmm. room uh, when uh, Kurt's body was discovered and then decided to leave because he's a paramedic and it was obvious that Kurt was dead. So it wasn't, he couldn't do anything. Um, He's in there as well. And he said that during the process... Uh, of making the documentary, he spoke to Tom Grant briefly and kind of changed his mind. He thought he was a bit of a sketchy figure and then he came across as pretty mm-hmm. sincere. So, by the way, he th- thinks it would be interesting to reopen the case, but he is pretty much convinced that um, it was a suicide. Yeah. From At least from, uh, according to the interview that I read uh, with him. There's another... Uh, piece of evidence that they tried to put forward here that's a theory about the shotgun mm-hmm. uh, yep. they left out the the credit card story that that was a thing before yep. and this had to do with uh, the shotgun mm-hmm. shell i think earlier i don't know who made a claim people said that the shotgun was too big so kurt wouldn't have been able to kill himself mm-hmm. that way but that was debunked pretty quick after that because people on YouTube who had the same uh, shotgun <laughs> yep. um, tried it out <laughs> and proved that it was possible yeah. in videos where you think, oh, please double check that it's not loaded. <laughs> and <Wow. laughs> But uh, at least that's debunked pretty easily. But now they come up with a different uh, theory. Uh, let's have a listen yep. to that. Seattle police reports indicate that Kurt Cobain was found with a shotgun upside down with his left hand grasping the barrel in a vice-like grip known as a cadaveric spasm. Cadaveric spasm is a form of muscular stiffening that only occurs in death. This occurrence is indispensable to forensic investigation as it clearly shows the precise orientation of the deceased at the exact moment of death. In this case, Cobain's left hand gripping the barrel upside down as he was found. This all seems straightforward until you take into account the shotgun shell was found to Cobain's left side, opposite of where we'd expect to find the shell on Cobain's right side. The exit chamber is clearly on Cobain's right side if it was fired upside down as it was found and as the cadaveric spasm confirms. Seattle PD explained the illogical trajectory of the shotgun shell by concluding that the shotgun was fired right side up by Cobain. The shotgun flipped upside down, expelling the shell to his left to finally rest in the position that it was found. This proposed scenario is impossible, not only because shotguns do not flip upside down when fired, it completely ignores the cadaveric spasm that locks the grip, dictating the precise orientation of the shotgun when fired. Yeah, they have a whole animation section yep. which uh, explains this. So I I hope people get the idea by just listening to the audio. But um, what I think is strange is that this is not an expert explaining no. this. There's no expert in the whole documentary backing no. this up. It's just them coming up with a theory. Also, there are two, I think, weak parts in it. First of all, if you look at the 
animation, it seems to me that the shell could have uh, bounced off his hand. But apparently that's not a possibility. And second of all, um, the way I understood it is that um, cadaver spasm is pretty rare. Mm -hmm. It doesn't occur that much. And it's not in the police report that it was the case with Kurt. Um, His hand did... uh, was fixed on the on the barrel, but that can also happen later. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it it it's it seems convincing at first, but if you look at it, like okay, who is saying this, and is this all a fact or is it just speculation? <laughs> yeah, just like with the heroin amount and and also the or what I mentioned before, the animation that they use for that, which is also quite suggestive. I think this is. Another one of those things that sounds really interesting and sounds like, oh, forensics and, and we've all seen the TV show. So it's like, oh, yeah, this is the trajectory and whatever. But again, even if if this is true and it was on the shell was on on the wrong side, I'm what I'm missing is an explanation. Um, so in any case, this isn't good detective work <laughs> if it was a detective uh, who who would explain this because if this couldn't have happened um, with him doing it himself could it have happened if somebody else shot him or does this mean that some he did shoot himself but somebody else came into that room afterwards and moved some things and and left again or in any police investigation as well, if something isn't right, you need to start thinking about what could have caused it and and speculate on that and then try to find a new explanation. And here it's just like, oh, the shotgun shell was on a side where you would normally not expect this. Yeah, so what? Because that muscular spasm is also something that if you continue on on that trajectory... How would that muscular spasm have worked if somebody else killed him and then put that shotgun into his hand and and put his hand around it and whatever? So is that possible? Maybe it is. I don't know, but nobody is explaining it to me. So (laughs) if if this is wrong, then what are the other options? I don't know. And I'm I'm wondering, did they uh, show this animation and this theory to one of the many police experts they <laughs> exactly. had? Exactly. And what did they have to say about it? Yeah. It's all so very obviously constructed to let us agree with the narrative. Yep. Yeah. Like in the be- in the beginning, they have um, they they go back to portray Kurt a bit, and they have uh, Aaron Burkhardt in there, yep. which is pretty interesting. Uh, uh, Nirvana's first drummer. And some other people who are there just to say that Kurt was a nice guy. And happy and, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, and happy and, and goofy and fun to be with. And, and and so they were looking for people to sort of discredit the claim that he was suicidal. Yep. That That's also a thing that Tom Grant claims um, is that uh, nobody thought yep. Kurt was suicidal. Exactly. And that the whole thing was brought into the world by Courtney so that the, when the police arrived at the scene, they would immediately think, ah, it's a suicide. Yeah. To be fair, Courtney does do weird things <laughs> like uh, file the missing persons report in Kurt's mother's name. Yeah. 
which is weird. And then she also said in the missing persons report, yeah, he's, he's, he may be suicidal. So then yep. Tom Grant comes forward and says, you see, she already put the police on that path so that they would go in with, um, um, with that in mind. So they would immediately be drawn to that conclusion. They also show pictures of Kurt looking healthy, yep. smiling. Yeah. And interview snippets with him being really positive about life and yeah yeah and saying that the song title i hate myself and i want to die was a joke yep. yeah of course he would say that let's be fair they could have shown pictures of kurt looking absolutely horrible yep. uh right before that time like a really sick miserable junkie in some pictures and of course we don't see those images a lot and they're not nice to see and we'd like to remember kurt as a performer and as a good-looking guy yeah. and as a rock star or at least as a nice guy but that other side of him that was undeniably there exactly and i i think that you could make the same documentary exactly the opposite because there are so many things you can use to claim that he was suicidal with all of the stories about using guns, about not liking life, his song lyrics, his interviews, whatever. Like you can make the case the other way around as well. And I think that one of the mistakes that people make when they think about um, the whole suicide narrative, if you will, Oh, we talked about it in, in the previous episode about how you can never really know. Um, and I think mm. that the fact that a lot of people did say just after he died, like, oh, I wouldn't have expected it, or he never talked about suicide, that doesn't claim murder. <laughs> and also, of course, you're shocked. And maybe he didn't mention it, but maybe later on you think like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Or maybe everybody is like, oh, I wouldn't have expected that just because they don't want to discredit him. I mean, you're not going to say like, oh, yeah, yeah, I knew this was coming. He was like depressed and he tried to kill himself like five times. And uh, yeah, we were just waiting for it to happen. It's not what you do. <laughs> so, and of course, I agree that the fact that Courtney said like, oh, he's suicidal or whatever may have been a bit much. But yeah, she's done weird stuff. I think we can agree on that. Yeah. And also um, she was his wife. Maybe she knew things about exactly. him and experienced things with him that we don't know of. Exactly. And maybe she Possible. she just used it in order to get the police to search a little bit harder. I mean, if somebody is missing, usually police take a couple of days to see if, if that person shows up or not. So as soon as you say like, that somebody is either going to harm somebody else or themselves and you worry about them, I can I can get why the police would work a bit harder to find that person. So I don't know, maybe that's the reason why she said that a couple of times. We will never know. And maybe she filed a report in Kurt's mom's name because she was kind of famous yeah. and a lot of people thought of her as a out-of-control character and... With good reason. Yeah. So maybe she thought, well, if I'm going to do this in my own name, they won't take me seriously. They just think I'm panicking over exactly. nothing or <laughs> just acting crazy, which she sometimes did. So yeah, I, I can't imagine. I don't know, but it's uh, it's possible. Um, but it's all these little things that get put into like, like breadcrumbs uh, onto the murder trail. Yeah. If you think, yeah, it could lead that way, but it could also lead to completely different conclusions there's no conclusive evidence um 
I mean, you don't always have that. So if you don't have the conclusive evidence, obviously you can't say, no, I'm sure it's not murder. Um, but the other way around, I think it's interesting what you discussed about that, like Tom Grant started out with like credit cards and whatever, and then that sort of disappeared from the narrative and other things popped up. And I, he said a couple of times, like, I have things on tape that are really explosive, but I'm not giving them to anybody unless the police reopens the case and whatever. It's sort of, it all fits this whole, um, let's cater it towards something that eventually feels more secretive conspiracy theory like than just cold hard facts and i think that on the one hand that's also what's kept this alive which is good for some people i mean tom grant is i think probably still living off <laughs> the fact that he has all this information and and a website and people like calling him because you can i think on his website you can like send him an email and yeah. then he'll call you and talk to you about the case and whatever for about i think like 50 dollars <laughs> for half an hour something yeah like exactly that. so like he's making money off it and yeah, I mean it's 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 a business model. Exactly. He used to sell uh, case manuals <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, about his um, books. Uh, he shows up in talk yeah. shows. He does uh, documentaries like this. Yeah, it's it's a business model for him. Yeah, I think so as well. And and keeping the mystery intact is is part of that business model as well because. Um, the more people speculate about it, uh, the more interesting it is for him and, and not just for him, but for the whole myth in general. I mean, people like talking about things like this. And whenever there's something that's slightly unexplained, um, I think a lot of people enjoy that narrative. I mean, we still have the Marilyn Monroe didn't kill herself, but was killed by, by the Kennedy's story. That's like, how many years ago is that? And people still mention that. Yeah. Um, let's not forget that if somebody is an icon, you don't want them to die in a stupid way, to be honest. Um, and I think that's part of it as well. Like once an icon, always an icon. Um, I, I mentioned Prince at the beginning. Um, in, it's a sad story because like he was, he was found naked in the elevator of his home, which is horrible. That's a detail that you don't want to know because that man was an icon as well. And to have him, uh, die too young, um, and be found in that way, I don't want to think about that. Um, because that's not how you want your stars to go. Um, but sometimes that's a fact. Yeah, it's the same when people bring up, yeah, Kurt wouldn't commit suicide because he wouldn't leave Francis. I mean, yeah, for most of us, if you have a kid, it, um, it seems unthinkable to do that. But I'm sorry, people with children commit suicide it happens it happens a lot and and, and yeah it doesn't mean that they don't love no. their children it means that something else in them is stronger exactly. than that or at least at that moment or overtakes their behavior or or, or whatever i mean it, it, it's hard to wrap your mind around perhaps yeah we'll never know exactly what happened and people will 
keep speculating about it. But for me, the outcome of, of all of this, when you look at all of the stories and the so-called evidence again, is there are weird things that have been going on during this period because there were a lot of people involved that had their own mental issues or drug issues or other problems. Yeah, Kurt and Courtney had issues, obviously, but everything is is circumstantial to what happened. And I also feel sad in a way that this has been the subject of of so so much speculation. I like the fact that people want to keep Kurt in their minds and hearts and and refuse to believe that he could have done something as mundane as as killing himself but you're not helping anyone by keep spreading rumors about his wife having killed him because let's be honest that's <laughs> the biggest thing that 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 people and Tom Grant obviously as well have been saying but there is no there is nothing that points to that and and please Give me, give me anything that actually says that and I'll look into it, but it's not. So yeah, maybe leave them alone. Well, I mean, everybody's entitled to their own beliefs and maybe speculate about it with friends sure. or, I mean, believe whatever you want to believe. But I think uh, Courtney and also Frances get harassed a lot, mostly online, but I think also yeah. in person. It's just horrible to have... Um, People come up to you to tell you that they know that your father was murdered and your mother exactly. was behind it or that, yeah. I mean, no, just leave them alone. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'm yeah. sorry. If, if, if you have evidence, go yeah. to the police. If you know something, go for it and go to the proper channels. Um, I think it's the whole narrative of the wife who was already there as sort of the, the evil genius and the person who had a, a bad influence on him. And now she's like, there's a couple of things that are sort of slightly said in the documentary as well. Like, oh, he wanted a divorce. And if they got a divorce, then she wouldn't get yeah. a lot of money. Yeah, basically um, the motive would be that Kurt wanted yeah. to leave her. And I think they threatened each exactly. other. Exactly, that's, that's already divorce. something that is like... Courtney also yeah. threatened to yeah. leave Kurt, I think, uh, at, at, at least uh, during yep. the intervention that they staged for him. So, yeah, maybe they would have split up. but And then because they had a prenuptial agreement, it would mean that Courtney wouldn't get a lot of uh, Kurt's money. And uh, it's also been speculated that Kurt wanted to take her out of yep. his will. So that's why she needed to have him murdered before that would yeah. uh, be an effect. Completely ignoring the fact that Kurt, uh, Courtney had already signed a pretty lucrative exactly. record deal. It, it, it's not like she would be left nope. behind completely nope. poor or something like that. <laughs> nope. Even if, if were that, that were the case, uh, I'm not sure if that's really the reason why you would no, kill somebody. It, yeah. But then again, yeah, people claiming that always portray Courtney as a complete psychopath driven by too much ambition yeah, it's that whole narrative of of that crazy wife um that gets in there and also again this is a tv um story idea of of 
somebody killing their husband uh, for the money. I, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's that that sort of that narrative that we know is like, oh yeah, of course. Then that's mo- money is always the motive. Um, I know there have been discussions as well about like how she was then mad that he didn't want to do Lollapalooza because she mentioned that to Tom Grant and other people. Yeah, like oh yeah, that's a lot of money, but. That's also like, okay, if, if she wanted him to do that, then she shouldn't have killed him. <laughs> so that's not a, <laughs> she should have just convinced yeah, him to had, do he it. He had already canceled it and she was, she was yeah, really angry and, about and, it, some, and, something yeah, like that. But in, in any case, I mean, we don't even know how much he was worth, uh, anyway. And I think some of this was probably fueled, unfortunately, by her behavior afterwards, um, because there's been a lot of discussions between her and and the other two band members about rights and 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 what to release and what not to release and and things like that. Yeah, that got that 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 got yeah. really ugly. And also, right after um, Kurt passed, uh, she hooked up with. Billy Corgan yep. again, I think, or at least that's been speculated about. And she tried to um, start up something with uh, Trent yep. Reznor from uh, Nine Inch Nails, who said some really horrible things about her. She was with, um, what's his name? The guy from the Lemonheads, yeah, I think. Though, yeah. yeah, yeah. so people also didn't like the way she reacted to his death and thought it wasn't the way... Uh, a widow should should mourn and but also her behavior and or at least things that's been said about that before uh, she even met Kurt um we didn't touch on it when we talked about Kurt and Courtney but you remember that scene with uh, Courtney's ex oh yeah 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 (laughs) who took Nick Broomfield to the basement because he had a box there with Courtney's stuff and then started flipping through her diaries and shouting in the camera at her and maybe she treated him badly in the past but he's acting like a real dick (laughs) right now in a documentary (laughs) yeah i mean yeah and even if that i mean there's a lot of stories like that about her and 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 musicians saying that that she tried to sort of get too much into their space and she wanted to really be famous as well, but she used them and whatever. And and even if that's all true, does that also mean that she would murder Kurt? I mean, if somebody is a bad person, does that also mean that they do like the worst things imaginable? It's not that simple. <laughs> so yeah, no. that doesn't have anything to do with each other. It's like as if conspiring to kill somebody is like easy when you're a bitch like no mm. no <laughs> no it's not no it, it it doesn't really add up but it it gets fueled by uh, even her own father yep hank harrison who also wrote a, wrote a book about her and who said well i can't prove that she murdered uh kurt but i can safely say that she's capable of doing yep. it I mean, yeah, that's going to earn you the Father of the Year award. (laughs) Exactly. What what does it say about you? That's more to like, you you read that and you're like, okay, now I'm getting some insight into why she's a bit messed up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and, and also, um, Kurt's grandfather, Leland, has um, 
said that he believed that Kurt was murdered. And there's an interesting mechanic behind that. I think um, Max Wallace um, and, and Ian uh, Holperin even use uh, Leland's uh, statements to, you know, kind of prove their theory. But I have the feeling that maybe they were the ones um, convincing Kurt's grandfather yeah. that something was wrong. Yeah. Then, you know, record and quote him um, uh, repeating back their own theory at them and then yep. using that as proof or to <laughs> um, gain credibility for their own theory. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's that's a really interesting way to put it. I haven't thought of it like that, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's, I mean, then you get back to that that tunnel vision that's obviously there. Um, and I think that that's one of the conclusions of this and and of any conspiracy theory, murder theory, whatever, not just about Kurt Cobain, but a lot of others as well. You can have that feeling of, you have done the investigation, but you have confirmation bias, basically, which means that even if you read a lot of different things, if your mind is going a certain way, you will remember those things that you read that confirm your own ideas better. And if you're looking for something, and especially if you're making a documentary or a book or whatever about that, you will not even always on purpose, um, um, try to get that out of other people as well. And so, I mean, that's, that's even a case if you do like, there's a lot of discussions about police interviews. Like, how do you do that? How do you ask open questions? How do you make sure you're not pointing people into a specific direction? Um, and like you said, with, with, with Leland, that's something that could have definitely happened. And you can think that you're open minded. But in the end, it is extremely hard to be. Um, yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah, and also the whole thing about um, doing your own investigation. It's more than just going to Google or YouTube and type in that and check out um, alternative documentaries. Uh, you should at least um, try to get another view in there as well. Yeah. Um, but the problem is, of course, that the other view isn't as spectacular no. I mean, it wasn't a suicide, it was murder. And now we're going to prove it and explain to you how it all went down. That attracts a lot of more uh, attention and yeah. generates a lot of more money than, no, not really. No. That's not a story to sell. <laughs> no, exactly. And that's why you don't have that's uh, why we're documentaries not on that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I must say there is a there is a quite a good blog on there. Uh, knows not what it means. Dot blogspot. Dot com. I think. I think the same people also nice. um, use the account uh, called uh, "Soaked in Bullshit" to uh, <laughs> try to debunk um, the whole uh, theory. Nice. So a, a lot of stuff that I'm. Uh, putting forward in this podcast. I mean, uh, I haven't gone out to Seattle to do research on my own <laughs> or reach out to people to do interviews. I'm just getting stuff from sources like that. So all the uh, credit to, to those people. Yeah, so I, th I think that, that pretty much uh, brings us to, to an end. Yeah, this is uh, the um, maybe not so exciting conclusion of this episode that... Um, yeah. 
yeah, um, and there's nothing more we can say about it. I just hope that, um, like, listeners who um, who have heard this and are uh, interested in in details, just that yeah, go go read some stuff, see some stuff, and uh, think about it. And um, just uh, whatever whatever your conclusion is, um, just I'd say. Um, remember Kurt as as a great musician and whatever happened at the end of his life um, doesn't take anything away from that. So we don't need a myth about his death. We have a myth about his life, I'd say. Wow. Very well put. So let's uh, promise our listeners that next time we will be focusing on a lot of Kurt's music. Yes. Because we have done a lot of talking about this whole theory and the whole thing. But I thought it was important as well, because um, if you look for a podcast about this subject, most of them are um, in favor of the, the whole conspiracy theory, or mm. at least leaving open the option like, oh, well, I guess we'll never know, but it sounds really suspicious. And that's okay. I mean, people are, are free to do so, but uh, I think, uh, I hope that we have, um, yeah, balanced that out a bit. Yeah, yeah, I hope so as well. We won't make any money out of it, but uh, uh, there you go. No, <laughs> but if you as a listener do want to give us money, <laughs> unless you're Courtney Love, because then we would be in on the conspiracy. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you can send us uh, an email and uh, you can send it to SherwoodPodcast at gmail.com or you can reach us on Facebook and you can do that by going to facebook.com slash Nirvana Podcast. And um, at the end of this episode, uh, you will hear a very uh, interesting song about um, this whole subject matter. Uh, it's a song that actually you pointed out at me by somebody yep. who goes by the name uh, The Narcissist Cookbook. He wrote a great song about the Courtney did it theory and yeah, with a great afterthought uh, as well. Um, I contacted him uh, online and he said it was okay if we would uh, include his song uh, for the podcast. So um, keep listening to check that out. And for now, thanks a lot for uh, listening to us. Uh, Hope to see you next time and bye. Bye. Okay, I want to tell you guys a story about a band called Nirvana. You probably know the story already, but whatever. They were a good band, man, a really good band. They had this awesome third album, lost them a lot of fans. They had this great track on it called Tourette's that went, but doesn't really work over these chords. Anyway, I've totally lost my train of thought. Uh... Oh yeah, Kurt Cobain's dead and I'm reliably informed that Courtney did it. She did it, Courtney did it, our oh, Courtney killed Cobain. She did it, Courtney did it, Courtney did it, Courtney killed Cobain. I don't know why we blame it on her. It seems easy to say, Courtney Love is capable of murder. But I haven't much of anything to back that up. I might be going out on a limb here, but mm, I think society doesn't seem to like women at the best of times, but we really get mad when they fuck our rock stars, you know? Kurt Cobain belongs to us, we cried, so naturally when he died, everybody said, Courtney did it. She did it, Courtney did it, our oh, Courtney killed Cobain. She did it, Courtney did it, Courtney did it, Courtney killed Cobain. She raised that kid on her own.
it would be exacerbated by living life in the public eye. Need I remind you this poor human being lost her husband when she was barely 29? And we repair her by hassling her on Twitter fucking 700 times a day. Her phone goes ping, 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 ping. And 99% of the time is saying the same thing as saying... Good evening, Courtney Love. It is I, MK Ultra Truther 99, and you will no doubt be nervous to learn I've been carrying out an independent investigation into the mysterious circumstances surrounding your husband's suicide. Kurt Cobain's suicide note is four paragraphs of a man preparing to leave you and retire from the music industry, followed by four lines at the end, a different pen and different handwriting, in which he talks about suicide. Pretty weird, Courtney. Pretty weird, not incriminating on its own. However, following your husband's death in your possession was found a piece of paper in which you've been practicing his handwriting. What have you been practicing? You've been practicing the last fucking four lines of his suicide note. How do you explain that? I'll tell you how I explain that. You did it, you did it, just admit it, you killed Kurt Cobain. You did it, just admit it, just admit it, you killed Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain, Kurt Cobain, kill Kurt Cobain, Kurt Cobain, Kurt Cobain. Pretty convincing, isn't it? I know I find it convincing more often than I don't, but then I am particularly vulnerable to these kinds of stories. You know, there is a question that I ask myself about once every 18 months, once every two years or so, and this is a question that smart people ask themselves every day, multiple times a day. I would go so far as to say it is the question that keeps a smart person smart. Four words. What if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? What if, what if reality is exactly as it seems? What if 9-11 was not an inside job carried out by the American military industrial complex against its own people to justify a series of power grabs in the Middle East? What if it was just a reaction to decades of carelessness and aggression, centuries of imperialism? What if JFK was not assassinated by his own government? He was murdered by one man, one confused and lonely man who preferred the reality inside his head to the reality outside of it. I can relate to that. Who wanted to be a hero, I can relate to that as well. Who probably died not understanding why he wasn't a hero and why everyone was so mad at him. You know, Kurt Cobain had a genetic predisposition to, in no particular order, substance abuse, paranoia, depression, anxiety, not to mention he was a member of the music industry. These qualities put a person at particularly high risk of suicide. There. Simple, tidy, and most Boring of all, it just makes sense. We are vulnerable to these kinds of stories. Partly because they make our world seem less chaotic, but 
also because if you stack enough of these stories one on top of each other, you block out the bigger story, the story which is as terrifying as it is verifiably true, and that is that we are marooned out here, stranded on a rock in the middle of nowhere, and bad things are going to keep on happening to good people until one day, one day the worst thing is going to happen to all of the best people at once. An asteroid will hit, or we'll start a nuclear war, or we won't put enough money into developing new antibiotics and a super virus will wipe us all out. And if we manage to avoid all of those things, one day the ice caps will melt. And if we manage to survive that, one day the sun's gonna explode and there is no hope of rescue or escape because who is there to rescue us? Where is there to escape to? We are not taught how to deal with these things. And so we are left to our own devices to come up with ways of distracting ourselves. Sex and drugs and rock and roll. And that's just what works for most of us. For some of us, that is not enough. And those are the people who fly passenger jets into skyscrapers. Those are the people who kill presidents. Those are the people who load up on guns and splatter their brains out all over the family home while people like me, arseholes, the intrepid keyboard detectives willing to say the things no one else is willing to say because they can see the things no one else is willing to see, will explain to anyone who will listen with unbearable fucking smugness and unrepenting glee. Courtney did it, she did it, Courtney did it, our Courtney killed Cobain. You did it, Justin did it, Justin did it, you killed Kurt Cobain, Kurt Cobain, Kurt Cobain, killed Kurt Cobain, Kurt Cobain, Kurt Cobain, na 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 